One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. Put your flat bags on. Join me, hot. everybody it's dan and welcome to episode seven of rockin all week with you the happy days podcast hooray we are nearing the end of the first season we are in the spring of 1974 this episode is going to cover great expectations episode 13 directed by jerry paris with a story by peggy elliott and ed scarlatch and teleplay by bob brunner and michael leeson and then episode 14 the best man directed by jerry paris and written by joel kane and, uh, yeah, I guess uh, you knew it had to happen, everyone. It's beatnik time. Hey, look, guy, you know, like, if you bought this record to learn how to speak hip from a record man, that is the squarest thing I ever heard of. I mean, wow. But, look, so like you bought it, you must need it. So that was a smart move, you know what I mean, or something? <clears throat> Hello there, and welcome to the exciting world of hip. Oh, just relax, baby. Me and this other guy, we're going to straighten you out. This is a new departure in language instruction. For English-speaking people who want to talk to and be understood by jazz musicians, hipsters, beatniks, juvenile delinquents, and the criminal fringe. What time is it? i got to make a phone call. Shh, shh, The twilight world of the American hipster is an important American subculture with a language all its own. To enable you to speak this language of hip exactly like the hipsters themselves, we've provided an actual hipster to teach you the correct pronunciation and delivery of his language. Ray. Ladies and gentlemen, your instructor, Mr. Geets Romo. Look, is it going to be a long session, man? Let's head out for some pizza or something. Huh? Uh, Mr. Romo, would you speak into the microphone, please? I just want to say this is a wonderful thing, uh, what you're doing, you know? Uh, so the public can pick up on what's happening, like, you know? Straighten everybody out and let them know where this whole other scene is, where it's at. You know, so everybody will stop coming on all the time. And then we'll get, you know, world peace. The guy in the opening credits who sprays his girlfriend with the ketchup, first, he needs to understand the way the ketchup bottle works. And second, is he the oldest teen in the world? I'm not sure, but I'm not really going to go into that now. What are we talking about here? Great expectations. Uh, Richie Pozzi and Ralph are seeing a uh, Shane, watching the revival of Shane in the theater. Richie sees a, a lovely young gal with a beret. Hmm, I'm wearing a beret. Give me the respect I deserve. Up near the front, Potsy and Ralph take off, and Richie goes up to talk to her. Her name is Deirdre, or Deirdre, or I'm going to call her Deirdre throughout. And he chats with her and learns that more or less she's a beatnik and her car's broken down, and she's just kind of hanging out until she can get her car fixed. And they go to the, the garage, and the font says it's going to take a, a day or two. And so Richie says, well, come on over to, uh, you know, where I live and we'll, we'll have dinner. I'm sure my parents will mind and we'll hang out. It'll be great. And she says, groovy. I, don't, I, don't, I forget if she says groovy. She probably does, but she's a beatnik. And so he brings her over and it's, hey, my gosh, there's a beatnik in our house. And Joni is kind of thrilled and excited by it. Uh, Mrs. C is kind of confused. And Mr. C is like, a beatnik in the house? They'd read an article in the Saturday Evening Post on beatniks and um, are a little worried. Uh, turns out, uh, as she is getting ready to eat, uh, Deirdre faints, and we learn a little bit that she is pregnant, and her boyfriend Lawrence is playing bongos at the, what is it called, the Purple Eagle, uh, it's a beatnik joint, and he goes down there to get Lawrence, and comes back with Lawrence, and Mr. C gets really mad at Richie, and then it all kind of culminates with Richie has been reading his poetry to the two of them. And they basically say, you know, this this uh, life you're living for squares, you should come travel with us for the summer. And Richie's like, you know what? I might do that. Does Richie travel with them for the summer? Well, if this were the end of the season, and this were Freaks and Geeks, yes, he, he would go travel with them for the summer, which is exactly what I thought when I got to the end of this episode. A spoiler, Richie does not go and spend the summer traveling around the country with a bunch of beatniks. It's an interesting episode, and one I like... Uh, quite a bit. Let me let me just. Uh, Jerry Paris directed. Brunner and Leeson have been with us before. Peggy Elliott and Ned Scarlatch. Uh, they wrote for all sorts of stuff. Love American Style, Odd Couple, Mork and Mindy, all over the place. Um, 
And, uh, but I think this is their only, uh, credit, I believe, if I'm wrong, I'll correct myself later, uh, for Happy Days. Why they didn't write the teleplay, I don't know, or maybe they just walked by and were like, oh, hey guys, you should do one where Richie meets a beatnik. You got it. Here's a check. Maybe. I don't know. What was I saying? Okay, yeah, this, uh, the, yeah, this is the Beatnik episode, and if you know anything about me, uh, I get worried whenever I see Beatniks, um... I'm not a big fan of beatniks. Uh, I think um, at least some hippies were sort of like political and would get out there, but most beatniks to me, it's it's more um, it's more like an artistic based thing. Look at something like Bucket of Blood. It I don't know. I'm I'm sure they were very artistic. But whenever you see them do stuff in movies or I mean, I'm I'm writing a book on the Henningverse right now, and yet uh, from 1962 1971, there 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 is an episode where the Clampets meet some beatniks, and uh, oh, Dennis Hopper plays a beatnik in the first season of Petticoat Junction. And a few seasons later, there are more beatniks. Uh, the man who directed Ilsa Shewolf of the SS plays uh, Oliver's cousin, or uh, nephew, uh, who's a beatnik. And uh, so the beatniks, you know, you can't you can't watch a show at the end of the 50s with the 60s without encountering beatniks. And let's not even talk like 77 Sunset Strips or Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. But this one has a beatnik in it, and um, we're gonna throw. We're gonna throw. We're gonna talk about how this uh, the beatniks and the fact that they're called beatniks over and over, and that the Saturday Evening Post did an article on them uh, is how it how it may possibly firmly set a date ish when this takes place, or at least this episode takes place. Remembering that at the very beginning, Potsy says he's bored out of his mind. It's only the second day of summer vacation. And the big thing at the end is, come and travel with us around the country for the summer. Boom. Do I like this episode? I do. I am not a Beatnik fan, as I said. They're just so, they're so pretentious. And, and you know, and the thing about them is they're so pretentious, but you knew that like, like six months before they came Beatniks, they were all exactly like Richie. You, you know that. I mean, I, I, you know, and in a few years when they're working wherever, they're going to be exactly like Richie again, you know, or, or whatever. They're going to be exactly the way they were. And so it always seemed like a facade that I never really bought into or was that interested in. Plus, there's something, too, about the, um, the like, the, the, you know, like all the, all their, um, all their terminology and stuff, which, um, I'm not going to call it dated because obviously it's it's from the 50s, but it's just I think even when I was a kid and I would encounter a beatnik in a sitcom or something, you know, like didn't didn't Herman Munster become a beatnik in an episode? Did I just make that up? You know, and you just see him and you're like, oh dear, this just this just it just seems goofy to me. It seems it's the I don't know if it's the opposite of, but if you take something very camp and you go in the other direction, but it's still camp. That would be beatnik. I don't. I don't know if if that makes sense. Um, you know, because they're not bright and colorful. They're dressing all in black, sunglasses, the berets, and things like that. And man, it's about these going after the establishment, man. And I've got some. And there's there's a there's a great bit with a woman uh, uh, doing some bongo led poetry, which is pretty amusing. Um, and but the the thing about the episode that that works is yeah, Lawrence is. I'm a bit iffy on Lawrence. Um, his his condemnation of of Richie's lifestyle um when the episode ends with him and her dear going to a really sort of normal th- existence I guess a regular existence uh, is kind of is is sort of why I don't like the hippies but she is really sweet throughout and she she yeah, she gets a few moments uh with um uh, you know, I is there any place I can go to wash the? You know, I don't even know if she says the sins or the, just the the you know wash this world off of my hands or something like that. Joni, show her to the bathroom. And uh, there's a bit of that pretentiousness, but she's also very sweet and she's also very nice to Richie. Now Richie's very nice to her, of course. As as um you know, as parents point out, uh, you know, is this like a like a for a, for a, attempted a hookup in the theater? You know, this turned out to be very different, and it. It, it is, and, and he also mentions Darlene, so Richie's going out with Darlene, he mentions going to a picnic with her, so the fact that he's kind of trying to hook up with this woman in the um, movie theater is a little odd, but this is not Richie the jerk, though, this is Richie the really nice guy, especially when he finds out she's pregnant, he goes to this bar, brings Lawrence back, brings Lawrence in the house, and Lawrence goes up to where um, Deirdre is, and they've the Cunninghams have since found out that she's pregnant, and and Mr. C just yells at Richie, and Richie's like, I did what I thought was best, and it's really a nice 
moment because usually we're generally kind of on the side of Mr. C and whatever it is he's up to. But but this moment it was sort of it was cool. I really liked it because it's Mr. C. He read an article in the Saturday Evening Post about beatniks. He thinks all they do around is you know, all they do is smoking them reefers and she's pregnant, so it's you know free love and all this stuff and. Uh, so Mr. C, Mr. C learns a lesson, and and the closing scene, which I won't go into too far here, is is quite lovely when when Mr. C and Richie have their final discussion in in Fonzie's garage. Yeah, I like R- Richie's on a bit of a um. It, it I, I like Richie very much in this one because he he goes to hit on her and he kind of does a bit, but then sees she's kind of like a beatnik and she's in you know she's got nowhere to go, so he tries to help her out. I mean, I think the thing about sort of like. It, it goes beyond the point of just trying to pick her up, you know, when it's like, here, let me take you to this garage, we can try to get the car fixed, you need somewhere to sleep, something to eat, let me take you to my house, and it, I think at that point it goes beyond that, especially somewhere in there she learn, he learns about her um, her, uh, her boyfriend, and it still doesn't stop him, he still wants to be her friend, he he likes her, he likes what she's doing, She she, she she's free, sort of, in a way that um, he isn't. Now, granted, she's pregnant, and, um, you know, she's in... In the end, it's you know said more or less. It's intimated that they're going to be married and and you know go somewhere and settle down. So she's becoming far less free after the episode ends. I I think it's, it's funny. It just occurred to me. I've got Lawrence up on the screen here, and I think yeah, the thing with the Beatniks is that the Beverly Hillbillies kind of nailed down my thoughts on the Beatniks. Where I forget what it is, but there's there's Beatniks. I don't know. Season four. I think it's in the black and white seasons. Season three or f- I. No, it's not in the black and white. I, it doesn't matter. But they, they meet up with these beatniks, and, and the Clampets like the beatniks, and they like Jed because Jed's always giving them money, and they start this beatnik bar. And I forget exactly what how it how it happens, but I I, I want to say it's Mr. Drysdale goes to the beatnik bar at one point because someone's coming to the bar, and it can't be a beatnik bar. So he basically goes to the beatniks, gives them a bunch of money, and says, stop being beatniks or else you're going to lose the bar. And so when, like, the Clampets return or something, yeah, it's like the Clampets return, and or whoever it is shows up, and suddenly all these super beatniks are just regular, you know, kids of the mid-60s, you know, and and they there's really not much difference. So so to me, it's like, I think I think the thing with, like, you could tell, like, a beatnik can flip in a moment if need be. If, if their lifestyle just isn't fitting what they want, they'll... Uh, spin back uh, and it's funny to watch R- Richie and Potsy don't do much in this episode but they do dress as beatniks at one point and sneak into the beatnik uh, club there the uh, the purple eagle uh, yeah I, I just really think th- this I think this is a fun episode because Deirdre is great and the sort of world that she shows um, Richie is really um, exciting for him and like I said, Richie has a gal, and early on we learn that, that she has a gal. And we learn that Richie's writing poetry, and he has this great um, bit where he's reading his poetry, and, and it's like ponder, wander, purpose, and he can't come up with the rhyme for purpose. In the end, Deirdre does, and it's usurpus, uh, which I like quite a bit, and it works. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a great episode, not only because... Um, they made Beatniks palatable to me, but because I like Richie in this episode, I like Deirdre in this episode. I don't like. I, I mean, I don't. I'm not enamored of Lawrence, but I'm. I don't dislike Lawrence, and I like Mr. C and Miss Mrs. C. Kind of is a little less. Um, she's a little less bothered, whereas Mr. C really is. And there's a great scene where, I, I guess part of it too is this is a funny episode. Uh, the 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 bits where Mr. and Mrs. C are talking about beatniks and they each one keeps referencing the Saturday Evening Post article is very funny, and the scene where Richie has run away from home and he's come to see them at like three in the morning, two in the morning, and uh, they're both kind of Mr. and Mrs. C, his his parents are both asleep and he says I'm leaving I'm I'm going away with the beatniks for the summer and they're like okay Richie whatever and then they leave a note and the next morning as as Mr. and Mrs. C are talking in front of like the the, the mirror in, in the bathroom. There's, you know, just some great bits with, um, and I, they're not going to be as funny when I say them, but there are just some actual very funny bits with, well, what did Richie say last night? Well, he either said he was running away for the summer with the beatniks or he was going to make coffee. Marion, that was you! Oh, and it's just, it's, there's some funny stuff in here. And mix that in with Richie, just like when Richie brings Lawrence to the house and it's like, he's done a good thing. 
he's he's reuniting this couple and they do solve they do come together and and do what they need to do and richie just has a look at his face like hey dad this is lawrence dearty's boyfriend Uh, go on up the stairs to the left or whatever and mr c just tears into richie there I, i mentioned that already but it's actually playing right here and i um i uh i like it when poor Joni comes out are you and richie having a fight no we're not having a fight uh poor jo- poor Joni. they gotta give Joni an episode to herself she's just got a few moments in here some fun stuff she's a beatnik and then a friend of hers barbara joe allen or something at the junior chipmunks or the chipmunks ate a fly and that's great Joni needs more to do yeah i really like this episode i it's funny when i looked at the back of the um the back of the 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 dvd and i just um uh and even even wikipedia richie meets a beatnik named deirdre in the at the movies and gets caught up in her lifestyle i i guess he kind of gets caught up in her he he i i would say he gets he becomes enamored of her lifestyle for a very brief time but what he does is he gets, he gets caught up in her life and he helps her and i think that's 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 good that he does that uh, I, I, I love uh, when she, she faints because she's pregnant and she's been fainting and she eats like an egg salad and jelly bean sandwich. They're, they're, and another great moment, like Mr. C sitting like cross-legged. Um, we used to call it, what, Indian style? I don't know. They call it something else now. But, but you know, how they're sitting like that, playing like Monopoly or something on the floor. And uh, Mr. C is in a lot of pain. And Deirdre says casually that she's pregnant. Mr. C kind of whoa, falls forward over the board, and it's it's pretty amusing. I was actually gonna make put a screenshot of that up when I post this episode, but yeah, overall it's just a fun episode. It's great. Um, yeah, the Fonz is in it for a few scenes, fixing the car. It's it's interesting to see like a beatnik, and I guess the Fonz is a greaser. Uh, and there's no, you know, he's like he's just fixing the car. That's what he does, you know. And he does mention that his boss uh, is very cheap, and there uh, there's a. Uh, Gas is twenty two point nine cents a gallon, and there's a there's a great Fonz moment where he's just leaning against the jukebox and Arnold just staring at this gal who's got this sort of unfortunate skunk kind of haircut. Not that she looks like um quite like Doctor Steele from Rotor. Um, forgive me that my that's my that's my uh that's my movie side coming out there. But she's sort of that's what it reminded me of. She's she's Charmaine, a gal named Charmaine from the high school. Uh, uh, well, they're in summer vacation. I, I guess she's still in the high school. Yeah, she's got like um the yeah you look her up. But the Fonz is making eye contact where he basically as Richie is trying to talk to him, he's just staring intently across the room, saying eye contact. Just watch, watch what she does. I've got the power. And after a few minutes, suddenly Deirdre locks us. Uh, Deirdre, I guess I'm thinking of Deirdre. I like Deirdre. I wish she'd come back. I, she doesn't have to bring Lawrence with her. I bring the baby. And uh, Deirdre is it, pff, did it again. Sorry, everybody. Charmaine locks eyes with the Fonz and kind of whoop goes across the room to him. And and um, I wish there was a bit more with Richie and uh, Fonzie and Potsy. Fonzie, I'm not getting anyone's names right. I apologize, everyone. I'm going to drop out. No, I'm not. How would you hear the rest of this beautiful podcast if I dropped out? Potsy and Ralph, I wish there was more of them pretending to be beatniks because they dress like beatniks and there's a great scene where they go sit down. Uh, the waitress comes up and it turns out the waitress is Marsha from Arnold. She doesn't make enough money at Arnold's. So she takes a second shift at the um, at the purple, purple uh, eagle and she has like a black wig on and is dressed like a beatnik and it's... It's pretty great to see her. And it's it's just moments like that. Like, you don't expect Marsha to be there. And it's just like, oh, that's so cool. You know, it gives you a little extra insight into her life. And I I like that quite a bit. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny episode. It's a charming episode. It's a sweet episode. And it gives you sort of access to another element of uh, this uh, world at this time. Um, but it doesn't... Um, it doesn't talk down to it. It doesn't make fun of it. It it doesn't like criticize it like um, uh, like Beverly Hillbillies does, or it doesn't um, uh, make it kind of goofy like Green Acres does by making uh, Chuck Charles. Yes, that's that's Oliver's uh, uh, nephew, just dressing him kind of goofy. Um, I will say this: the Fonz's garage does seem to be on a soundstage uh, in a, in a, on a movie studio somewhere. I'm just saying. Uh, so that, that's more or less great expectations. I realize I could. T- I've got. I've got a hundred notes here, and I could. I like you brought home a stray beatnik. I like that. Like a stray beatnik. Whoa! Look out! Stray beatniks ahead! Whoa! But I will. I will try to. I will try to keep it to, to a minimum here, and we'll go on to the uh, the dating question. 
Uh, and it's not Richie trying to mack on all the beatnik gals he sees. I do... Oh, one more. They do say pregnant. Pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. So if this is the late 50s, I'm fairly certain they couldn't say pregnant. on, on t- I mean, obviously, you get the Lucy. Lucy is whatever the word and and i've never said the word out loud you know the the lucy is pregnant episode where they couldn't use the word pregnant it it's n sint i'm gonna come back it later on and i'll have that word for you i've never said that word out loud have you ever had that happen i'm sure you have where you've been looking at the title of something or like like maybe like a band name or a song or um evil and Evelyn woe evil and i think that's the first time i've ever said that name out loud you know, so so it's one of those things where you you look at a word for ages and you go, oh yeah, that's the Lucy is pregnant episode. But then right here, when I was going to say it out loud, I don't even know an ensentine, ensentin, and I'll find out and I'll get back to you guys. But it is funny that they, I don't think they could say that in in fifty eight. They would have been very coy about it. But here, because it's seventy four and it's after all the family, Sanford, son, and Maud, and and good times and everything, that it's able to um, get a little more. Um, a little more real, I guess. Although I, I suppose the other word, if I could say it, um, is real also. Let's just do dating here, and then we will wrap up this one. Stray beatniks. <laughs> All right. So I've been saying that I thought this was season was set in '57. Uh, the season doesn't, as I said, the season doesn't specifically have to be going in chronological order as it goes along. It could be a sna- snapshots of this time period, which I'm fine with. You know, we're set over here. This one is September. This one is uh, April. This, whatever. But I've been arguing with myself, are we, um, did we start off in the fall of 57? Are we in the spring of 57? Well, we know now that it's the second day of their summer vacation. Now, my summer vacations in high school generally began in mid to late June. Let's say around the start of summer. Let's say around the 21st is when summer uh, vacation would begin. So we are definitely in this episode, just in the same way that we'll be able to date it, obviously when we hit Christmas episodes, we are definitely in the January 20s, I would say. Uh, June 20s, I'm sorry, I would say. Um, June 21st, 23rd, 24th. Um, I would say we're probably not in July yet because if we were at the start of July, they'd be mentioning 4th of July and there's no mention of that. So to me, we're in the second half of June, probably around 22, 23, going off of my high school stuff. Now, where are we though? Were we at the start, at end of a year? So we're in 57 or we were at the, the start of a year and now we've just jumped ahead to the end and we're in 58. My first thought was, well, we're in 57. This is nice. We're in late June 57, except for the fact that, and I did not know this, the beatniks were obviously the beat generation from Kerouac and all that stuff. But what I didn't know is that a gentleman named Herb Kane, C-A-E-M, coined the term beatnik, taking beat from beat generation, putting nick, the Russian um, suffix nick, as in like Sputnik, after it. So beatnik, coined that, he coined that term in the San Francisco Chronicle, April 2nd, 1958. So if you go prior to that, they're the beat generation, the beats, the the beats. Past that, they're the beatniks. So in 59, you get Bucket of Blood with beatniks. And in 60, you get the movie, The Beatniks. And so, um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I never, um, I never knew that. And the fact that it would have been, and everyone knew who the beats were. And then in early April 58, beatniks is coined. That would make sense that a month or two later... Saturday Evening Post might have done an article on it. I don't know if they really did. And the Cunninghams would have read, I do love, I think we need to consider canceling our subscription to the Saturday Evening Post, especially after Mr. C says, they're smoking reefers. Well, she doesn't quite say that, but you know, she, reefers. Uh, so I guess this is June of 1958. Second half of June, 1958. I'll go for that. Now, does that mean the next episode is not going to suddenly be early 58 or late 57 again? I don't know. The thing with this episode is obviously the beatnik, uh, uh, the purple um, eagle doesn't play um, rock, so I can't um, I can't judge that. And the music is all just generic for all the other times. There's just generic stuff in Arnold's. So, and there's only the one scene in Arnold's, and so it's just generic stuff. There's no big um, rock and rolly type music to set us in any time. So the only thing I have to go on is the fact that they're using the term beatnik, which was coined in April second, nineteen fifty eight. So there you have it. We're in the summer of 1958. Does that mean that, yeah, the we'll be in the summer for the remaining three episodes of the season? Eh, we'll find out.
Does that mean we'll, we'll get any clue at all? The, the music seems to be dying off, or on the DVD set, they're, they're not acquiring the rights to the things. Although that, that doesn't make sense. If you're going to acquire the rights, and especially as the show went along, they just kept kind of using the same songs over and over. So thing, you, you think if you're acquiring the rights, acquire them for the whole season, not just like the first eight, nine or ten episodes, maybe to hook people in. So by the time they got get to 12, 13, 14, you know, they're like, oh, they're not playing the songs anymore. Oh, who cares? I am hooked. My expectations, great as they were, have been met. Let us now hop ahead to April 23rd, 1974. Joe Kane writer, Jerry Paris director, and the best man. buddy of Mr. C's, Fred, is in town getting married. He's marrying a local gal. And he and uh, Mr. C met when they were in a hospital 12 years ago when they were in the army, which knowing that Tom Bosley was in his mid-40s and that Richie's 17 or so, um, maybe they met 22 years. I'm I'm not 100% sure. But I guess we could talk about that. Like, I don't know the the dating of Howard Cunningham. Uh, but uh, so so uh, and Fred says, uh, "Hey, uh, would you Howard? Would you be my best man?" Of course. There's a bit of a problem, however. His father-in-law doesn't really seem to like him. He's an undertaker, and he set up the wedding. And Fred gets in an argument with his father-in-law. And says, "I'm going to do the wedding myself now." No, how are you going to do the wedding? I'm going to do it myself. And Fred calls around, but can't get a place for the wedding. And so Mrs. C suggests, "Let's have the wedding here." So they have the wedding there. But there are a few problems. Like Fred really gets cold feet. And another problem. I don't know if you've seen the Cunninghams, but they're white. They are so white. Fred is not. He's an African-American gentleman. And so is his. Well, not his, his, his bride is is, is African-American woman. And everybody is not going to be white, is what I'm trying to say at, at the thing. Which is might cause some problems circa 1958 in very white uh, suburb of Milwaukee. And that's, that's the basic premise behind the episode. It's uh, directed by Jerry Paris again, and this is this is one of the first uh, episodes where I really noticed Jerry's tendency to um, shoot a little too high up. He sees the camera's tilted a little too high up a lot of times, especially in like the kitchen. And one scene when they tell Fred that they Mrs. C says Fred have have the thing here. It's always tilted a little too high up, and as the series goes along, it'll be tilted way too high up and you'll be able to see the top of the sets and lights here i don't i didn't spot it i'm you watch enough of the episodes you're like oh no the camera's going back oh no don't do that there, there's a scene like where richie um we're let middle of the night everyone's discussing something at the kitchen table and richie c- crosses behind them the kitchen table and goes to the fridge and the campers you know tilted tilted up lo- looking at him so just slightly and and you could sort of almost see the top of the set. You could feel the top of the set is there. But then there's also a nice moment where they they walk from the kitchen into the living room, and they kind of kind of camera uh, tracks back a little as they're kind of moving through it. So you really get the space of of everything around them. So and it's written by Joel Kane, who wrote a lot of stuff and was nominated for an Academy Award for the Tin Star, which I've never seen. And uh, he wrote for uh, everything: Dobie Gillis, Wild Wild West, um, Petticoat Junction. And, and I know him best for being, I believe this is correct, I could be lying to myself, but season 
four of Green Acres, 68 to 69, I believe is 26 episodes, and I believe every episode is written by Jay Summers and Dick Chevrolet, who wrote most of the episodes. It's a great season, except for the last episode of the season, written by Cold Joel Kane, called The Reincarnation of Ebb, where Lisa thinks Ebb has died during a big rainstorm and come back as a dog. It's pretty darn funny, but it has that thing that all the scripts, almost, uh, except the two Elroy Schwartz ones and some of the Dan Beaumonts, but it does that thing with all the scripts not written by Jay and Dick of Green Acres have, where it feels like someone watched Green Acres a few episodes and said, oh, I can write that, and then turn in a script, and they always feel slightly off, um, but Reincarnation of Ebb, though, is, is a pretty funny episode. And this is the only uh, happy days Joel Kane was involved with. And obviously, the the issue, I think the issue ostensibly throughout it is the the racism of of uh, not just the neighborhood, but it, it, Mrs. C. At one point, she she says it, it's interesting because when she first meets Fred, a she ha, she has a watermelon in her hands, and she makes this thing about how we always eat watermelon. It's like really that was that. There you go. But and then you see she's kind of. Um, She's kind of nervous around him, uh, and it's it's uh, and and Howard isn't, and uh, R- Rich and Joni don't seem to be. Although Joni, for, for some reason, when they sit down at the, at the dinner table, Joni has like a white um, like napkin over her face and like glasses over that, and she's doing her Invisible Man impression. But as Fred points out. Um, you're gonna need to take that off because it makes him uncomfortable. And I just saw it and thought, really? And it it's it seems like one of those things where um, it's a bit heavy-handed. The watermelon thing, Joni with kind of the sheet over her face, kind of with the, the and it's it's just like what? That's a bit much. We get it. I, I don't know that you need to do that. Or maybe you did need to do do that. Nine seventy-four. I. I, I guess yeah I don't it just it just that's a little heavy-handed to me love lo- lovely luckily the episode backs up from that as it goes on along and um and there, there's a great moment where you know uh, Mr. C is going to go be the best man and they're gonna have a big wedding and this is before it's rescheduled and um uh and there's a scene with Mr. and Mrs. C in bed where Mrs. C is clearly uncomfortable about going to this wedding because they'll be the only white people there and Mr. C says something, you know, like, um, he's, he's disappointed in her, brings up, brings up bigotry and he's disappointed and she gets angry and mentions like a nurse who seems to be in all the pictures, the war pictures, um, called, named Sally that Mr. C, I guess, had a bit of a crush on. You, you wouldn't call Sally a bigot. And then Mrs. C is kind of like, wait a minute, Howard, you're right. I am this, you know, this is the first, she says Negro, but this is the first, you know, b- black person I've ever met. And, you know, and, and, you know, um, you know, her his father in law is an undertaker. He'll be the first undertaker I've ever met. You know, I, you know, I, and you could see she's like disappointed in herself now that she's in, encountered something she's never encountered before. She's disappointed in the way she's reacted, and so she's the one who says we have the wedding here. She's the one who leads the frankly hilarious scene where they're trying to keep all the wedding guests there when Fred gets cold feet and runs out, and um, the village smithy stands and and um. Uh, is that is that the poem? Richie's walking up and down the aisles, leading a row, row, row the boat round, and he's reciting poetry. And Joni's using her hula hoop, and um, and Mrs. C is doing some very square stuff on the piano. <laughs> and the kid, I think we're losing them, Mom. It's that's a funny scene because that's intercut with Fred and Mr. C having um a talk about marriage, which which is really which is really nice. But we'll we'll t- we'll chat more about that in a minute. I think the the thing that the episode does, and I love this episode. I think this is a great episode of the show. Fred's a great character, um, and it's great to see one of Mr. C's army buddies. And the fun thing is that the issue of the racism comes up, as it should, and they meet a character named Mrs. Finley, a little old lady from next door who becomes terrified that there's a there's a black man. In the, well, she doesn't say that uh, in the um, in the in 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 the Cunningham's fridge, not in the fridge, but he's he's going through the fridge looking for cream of sugar or cream for, for his for his coffee, I think, and. Uh, and and they kind of uh, she, I will give Mrs. Finley this. She's not she's clearly r- ruffled and she clearly um, is probably very racist. But she handles herself decently, especially considering the fact that Mr. C and Fred begin to sort of play with her at the end of it and kind of make her go oh and run out the room. Uh, so it's kind of um maybe soft pedaled lightly. Um, maybe it's, it's her trying not to be a complete horrible person because she knows the Cunninghams. I don't know. But 
Um, it's it's an interesting scene because it it's um it's not as as a sort of harsh as you might imagine it to be because it really does look like she's trying to like oh my gosh I'm oh oh my gosh what what's going on here what is happening in the Cunningham home but she's trying to be as civil as she can be it's not quite working so they're making fun of her and I, I like that and but then the rest of the sort of Apart from the the Mrs. C moment there, the rest of it is sort of just relayed to us as the wedding is beginning. You know, like this person has said, uh, Joni can't play with her daughter anymore. This person has put up a not for sale sign on his front lawn. You know, so people in the neighborhood know that this is happening in the Cunningham home and are expressing their distaste, but it it doesn't um, get out of hand. And the thing is that you know it's there and. I guess this is why I really like the episode, because Howard and Fred are so great together. Mrs. C's revelation is awesome. The scene trying to stall the wedding guests is very, very funny. The Fonz has a couple of great scenes in here. It was like, so you're having, so you having a black guy over the house or something like that. Um, they don't like the term black guy. And the, the term that um, Richie gives, or the, the term they do like, is uh, I'm not sure Richie's right on that either. But uh, and, and the Fonz is just like, as you'd expect, you know what? I, you know what? It doesn't matter to me as long as they're cool. I'd much prefer to hang out with a cool black guy than an uncool white guy, if you know what I mean, and vice versa. So, and Afonso, of course, is always cool. And he makes five bucks bringing a bunch of chairs and stuff and taking them all down. The, I, I, I think, I think, I'm, I've been trying to piece together why I, I do like the episode so much. And to me, I think it is because it is about Howard and his friend who, wants to get married but really has kind of cold feet and is worried and and the the racism aspect is there uh but it's it it i i don't know maybe it maybe it should have maybe it was wrong that they didn't do this but it doesn't take over the episode like in the closing scenes during the wedding it's not about like suddenly you know there is a scene where the local white nerdy cop uh, arrests uh fred just for being out for a walk at night in the white neighborhood which is distressing but they play fred as a goofball you know like uh he he's 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 here he's he's getting married i'm gonna be the best man oh you're getting married i love weddings uh i don't know if that's they're soft peddling it because i know they weren't on the other sitcoms at the time uh but but they do bring it up and they do address it but then when push comes to shove it is about a guy about to get married and suddenly really getting cold feet and you get this great closing scene where you have Fred there and all the whole crowd there and Joni's standing by and Richie's standing by and Mr. C's the best man and Mrs. C's in the piano and all of a sudden Fred takes off running and suddenly they're outside and they're shooting some hoops and talking about life, intercutting that with the um, the rest of the Cunningham clan, but not Chuck, trying to um, figure out what to, <laughs> how, to, how, to, how to stall everybody and they almost lose everybody, but... Yeah, I, I really like this episode. I, I think it's it's pretty sharply written. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't know that I'm the person to sort of say whether or not it's um, uh, sort of soft-pedaling the issue because it it makes the issue known from, from the moment it begins, but then it does really become about his friend getting married. And if, and, and if this were, if, I hate to say it, if he were just a random white guy, it would be about like him getting married, having an argument with the father-in-law, having the wedding at the Cunninghams. He gets cold feet and stuff like that. The, this element, uh, the element of race, adds a little extra uh, to it, which is which is nice. And I like too that the Cunninghams. Once Mrs. C realizes um, that she is being a, a bigot, and she didn't, it's it's a surprise to her, which I like. Um, then then she does her best to sort of turn that around and not uh, not do that anymore and the whole time you know richie is trying to help but richie richie doesn't do much in this episode and joni doesn't do much joni has a pa- that paddle ball game you know with the paddle and the ball and, and the rubber band and i i was never any good at that but mr c tom bosley he really takes it on this one he's really good at it uh th- there is there is the element too uh, um where you have mrs c having a revelation and then saying have the wedding here but then mr c uh, and there's, there's a lovely scene where it's the middle of the night and he's got like a huge stack of bologna and he's wearing a cute pink robe and Mrs. C come down and she looks really nice in like a flannel, long flannel robe. And she says, you know, you, you, I can tell you're worried about something because you're wearing my robe and they switch robes and they're talking and they're basically talking about having, having this wedding in their home and the, the problem it might cause with the neighbors. At this point, you don't know that it's, it's going to be just a lot of shunning um, and just jackassery. You don't, you don't know if it's going to go really bad. Uh, it's it's happy days. I don't I don't know if it would go really bad, um, but but it is nice to see that Mr. C 
was happy to be part of the best man when the wedding was happening somewhere else. But when it's happening at his home, he really does have to think about it because he's thinking about his family. He's thinking about his, his, his wife, his, his kids, his, his home. Maybe he's even thinking about Chuck. Who knows? Probably not. Uh, so I, I like that, that, that um, there's sort of Mr. C is perfectly fine with going to, to a certain point, but then he has to pause for a moment and think of, of his life, what he has. And he just he decides to go through with it. He just has his bothering him for a bit. Um, but, and I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think at the end of the day, what, what it is, what, what it is that seals the deal as they're discussing it is that cop, you know, like, um, taking, uh, taking, a uh, basically arresting Fred more or less. And that's what sort of, he's a bit, um, yeah, he's he's a bit on the. You you know that he's going to do it. You know that it, it's going to happen. Um, but but that's what pushes him over. Well, he's like, okay, yeah, no, we we got to do this because this is this isn't going to work. And so they they go for it. And then the fawn shows up, and I just I just actually have that scene playing here on on my screen. And the fawns, he brings uh, one chair with a. They're all like metal folding out chairs, uh, fold out chairs. But there's one like older chair that's missing a leg. And somehow I'm not sure. Somehow uh, the father-in-law ends up in that chair. Well, there you go. And again, as far as dating this episode goes, there's not really all the all the music in between the scenes is pretty doop 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 ba da boo generic kind of stuff. The uh, the Reverend does ask if uh, Maria knows any Count Basie. She does not. Uh, and in the end, they play some uh, nice uh, uh, jazzy, boogie-woogie, um, fun stuff, jazzy piano stuff, which is, which is pretty nice. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, oh, okay, here we go. I have to discuss the Mr. C, the Mr. C dating, the Mr. C issue. Tom Bosley is uh, around 46, 47 or so-ish when this is being made. And he looks, he looks in his mid-40s. Now, having said that, I'm his age, and I he looks older than me, but that's just the way stuff is. Uh, but he, yeah, I'd say he's in his mid-40s. So if they were in the Army 12 years ago, and this is 1958, they met in the Army, although maybe he was in the Army, that's when they met. So it could have been the end of when he was in the Army. It could have been the beginning. They don't say. They just say he met in the Army 12 years ago, 46. So it was, um, oh, did they say, I don't think they said where they were stationed. I mean, they were probably in, like post-war Germany or something like that. Um, but so, and row, row, row your boat just came on the screen. I love the looks of everybody in the crowd. Who's as Richie, the whitest boy in the world, tries to amuse everyone with a round of row, row, row your boat. And, um, uh, I don't even remember. What was I saying? Okay, so 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 apparently he was in the army in 46 post post world war 2 and uh fred was in there and that's how they met but the thing is i mean that would have made him i mean you're not you're not going to tell me that mr c is meant to be under 40 i mean you, you, you it's not that's not going to work that's not going to work i mean he's he's mid mid 40s definitely he's yeah no no way no i mean i guess we i mean if we say he's 40 then he was in the army when he was 28 but richie was but but Richie would have been Richie's like seventeen, so Richie would have been five when he went in the army. So so he and there's no mention of him like being an army, you know, guy, you know, professionally in the army. It was just presumably he got drafted and 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 went into the army. But um, I, but to draft a twenty eight year old um, Mister C, I, I guess you would. It just seems slightly weird that. Uh, I mean, because you you think forty six, so so Richie was born in forty one, and Mister C, if let's say he was forty, would have been twenty three. You think that's would have been that would have been when he would have gone into the army? Maybe he got some kind of deferment because he had a son, and and they they kept him out of it until the son was five or something. But that just we never see Mrs. C like. Well, we do. Uh, I think we will occasionally later on, but we just see her be housewifely. So it just seems it seems strange that oh my gosh and Chuck what the what the heck wait a minute I forgot I forgot Chuck already so wait a minute Chuck how old is Chuck Chuck's in college I mean let's say Chuck's nineteen or something so let's say Chuck was born in thirty nine or forty so Chuck would have been gosh wow so Chuck would have been like seven Richie would have been five and 
he went in the army for a couple years, and when he came back, they had Joni. I don't understand the timeline of that. If they had said maybe like twenty two, oh gosh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess maybe we'll find out more as we go. But something about that doesn't make sense. I mean, you would think you would think they would have sent him to the army first off during World War Two, and second before he had like a seven year old and a five year old. I'm. I um and possibly another on the way. How old is Joni? I always thought Joni ten or eleven, something like that. Um, so 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 maybe he came back for a quick visit, and or maybe when he met Fred, that was the end of his time in the army, and he he was he'd been in there at the end of the war. I don't know. I mean, that could make sense. They have two kids, and then he gets drafted in like forty four, and he's there to like forty six, and he meets Fred at the tail end of his time there. I know, but it just seems strange to me that. I mean, if he is 40, then, you know, obviously he's, you know, would be, yeah, like I said, like 20 in his, his mid to late 20s, but he looks 45, which would, would place him in his mid, you know, in the early to mid 30s, which seems a strange age to draft, but I guess they were going for, I I didn't look up anything on, on the age they would draft people at, but you think like, like a 30 year old father of two would have less of less of a chance of getting drafted than say like an 18 or 19 year old with like who would finish high school and has no ties or especially if it's after the war I don't know I'm not, I'm going to stop talking about this but does anyone know does this make any sense to anyone I'm going to stop right here and we're going to get back to the best man thank goodness Fred does get married Mrs. C joins uh, the father-in-law playing some good good stuff on the piano. Uh, Fonzie is able to get the chairs and the truck back in time. Fonzie makes five bucks. There's some lovely cake. And they're going to send Mrs. Finley a slice of cake with the wedding topper, which is basically two little um, action figure type African-American uh, action figures. And uh, I, I no, don't... Maybe don't do that. Or maybe do that. I don't know. That could be fun. We never hear from Mrs. Finley again. So so it's like casting call for a woman in her 60s, white woman in her 60s, to play pretty racist woman who tries not to act racist on an episode of Happy Days. There you have it. All right. That's the best man. This is, I think, is this the first episode where I've loved both of the episodes? I mean, I think Great Expectations is a joy. And I think the best man is pretty fantastic. I like to see Mr. and Mrs. C get the lead. Richie, like I said, Richie doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. Um, geez, where Fonzie is in this. Richie, there's no Arnolds in this. And I don't think Potsy or Ralph show up in this. Wow. Huh. Yeah, that could be. I mean, at the end of the day, as we all know, Mr. C and the Fonz are the only ones who are in every single episode. So, I, okay. Well, look, look at when, um, you know, when, when, when Richie gets uh, drafted. When Richie gets drafted, which would be in the early 60s, uh, at the end of season 7, or end of season 7, start of season 8, I mean, he's in college, so you think that makes more... I don't know. Maybe it's it's just like, he's so good, we have to have him in the army. Uh, we don't care that he has two kids. We don't care that he's in his late 20s, early 30s. We want him in the army, and we want him here now. Maybe there's something great he did with hardware, that that, that where they were like, we got, we got to have this guy here. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is the first episode where I've loved both the episodes. I've enjoyed all... 14 so far uh, I think the closest we got probably is um, uh, the first episode uh, but then the love America's hell wasn't so thrilled with but yeah so these are two these are two really great episodes of the show very um they're, they're very funny which helps and they're also sort of a bit more mature uh, than the other ones which also helps all right and I just I just did want to mention that Fred is played by a name uh, I I've uh, never said it out loud. Robert Dequee, who you will know from everything. He was in the RoboCop movies. He did voices for Pound Puppies. Oh, my goodness. He was on Streets of San Francisco. He was in, oh, my gosh. He, wow, I didn't even realize. I'm looking here. He was on a band chat. He was on Coffee. He was in Coffee. Uh, Ironside. He was on a Get Smart. Dartari. Ooh, man from Uncle. He was on every. He was in My Science Project. He was in, Wow. Cloak and Dagger. Wow. He was in everything. Just how about that? Let's just, you'll know him when you see him. He was in everything. And to follow up one word I've never said out loud with another, enceinte, I believe is how it's 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 pronounced. E-N-C-E-I-N-T-E, pregnant. Lucy is enceinte, which I can't imagine a lot of people watching TV circa 5253 new but uh, there you go so that is uh that's the best man everybody i think it's i think it's a really great episode 
And um, I love when they fill in the backstory on the uh, on the other characters, which will become a regular thing once we uh, get to the third season. But but at this point, we're still very Richie heavy. But it, it's nice to see them going here. Miss uh, everyone's great. It's really a good episode. So I'm going to scan my notes one more time, and while I'm doing that, I'll just say on sand, on sand, and wrap it up. I think we are good with the best man. And great expectations. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. And I, I think as the episodes will will kind of get shorter than they have been when it just just because of the fact that there's nothing really like dating wise in this. Um, it's it's like I said, all the all the all the music is just generic stuff. They mention Count Basie, but yeah, he been around long before and would be around after. So that's that's not a specific um, thing. And of course, uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to stick with this is 58. There, there's no sign of anyone being in school, or they they don't mention anything. I mean, if it is summer, it doesn't seem to be a hot summer because everyone is is kind of still dressed the way they were. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm 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 going to call this. We're still in 58, possibly still the summer. Although before I go, now that I said that. The opening shot of a tree-lined street as the 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 trees, all the leaves look pretty brown to me, which would um, imply that we're in September-ish and the, the trees are about to fall. So maybe summer is over and we've hopped ahead. Maybe we've hopped back. Maybe this is, I don't know. But those trees, those are not summery trees unless the color on that shot is just really bad. But the trees, the leaves look brown. Don't they look brown? Yeah, okay. So wrapping this up, uh, yeah, yeah, the episodes will get shorter. Yeah, as they there's less uh, uh, sort of detailing in what what time periods this this is said, and less pop cultural uh, ephemera and stuff coming up in each episode, and they become sort of fairly generic for the time. So we're still saying I'm still saying 58 ish. Maybe this is autumn 58, or maybe it's autumn 57. So thank you for listening, everyone. Again, you you can email me at Danny Slacks D A N N Y S L A C K S at yahoo.com if you got any uh, feedback um, and any 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 comments any ratings uh, uh soundcloud stitcher itunes would be greatly appreciated and uh, thank you so much for listening and hey 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 yeah we are on oh gosh we are at the end of uh season one almost almost we are one episode left uh, for season one in this podcast. Oh boy, episode eight. We'll be covering the last two episodes of season one, Knock Around the Block, and Be the First on Your Block. I love the fact that they both have the word block in them. Uh, I wonder if it's the same, if there's the same meaning of the word block. I guess we'll find out when we when we tune in next time. I like when stuff like that happens. Okay. It's like if, like if you're listening to an album and you get two songs in a row that are the exact same length and you go, whoa, how'd that happen? Uh, uh, ne- never mind. I, I hope you all are doing well. I hope you're enjoying podcast. I, ho- I hope your lives are, are going okay. And uh, that was episode seven of Rockin' All Week with you, the Happy Days podcast. Listen to this. Monday, Monday, happy days. Sky hello blue, there's nothing can hold me when I hold you. So right, it can't be wrong. Rocking and rolling all.